Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Prince and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast, today's episode of uh, Once Bitten. My guest is Ruben Waterman, the founder of uh, Get Bitter, which unfortunately had to close down operations in Holland where he was uh, supplying uh, Bitcoin in a really um, safe and Bitcoin-only manner. Um, we'll get into the story in the show. I hope you like this one. And I hope you reach out to, to Ruben if uh, if any of you are uh, you know building companies looking for help, looking for uh, advice, or just want to show some support. And um, he, I'm sure he'd really, really appreciate that. Hope you enjoy the show. We get uh, into a lot of topics, um, which are going to uh, you know as usual open your ears and eyes. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we get into it, don't forget if um, you're UK based or UK expat get over to uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten to start your DCA journey, which is very topical for this episode because this is exactly what Ruben was doing. He knows Obi very well. He knows the Swan guys as well um, and uh, Alex over in uh, Australia as well. So, yeah, um, go check them out and um, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening. Today's guest on the show is Ruben Waterman from um, Bitter, getbitter.com. And uh, he's here to discuss uh, what's been going on with, with the company and uh, the regulations going on in Europe and, and the Netherlands right now. And um, I'd just like to say thank you, Ruben, for spending your time. Welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. And Lauren's been here um, on, a, on, a whim, on a warm-up pre-record. And I was actually telling Lauren earlier... That um, excuse me for my voice. I'm suffering from bad hay fever at the moment. Um, Lauren, I, I was explaining to Lauren that you've had to um, essentially close down your business, and she was pretty sad about that. And she's got some questions about that, so I will let her lead off with the first question. Why did you have to close down your business? Well, it's a long story. So. We live in a thing called a democracy where there's people governing us. And at the highest level in Europe, which is called the European Union, somebody in, an, uh, in a tower decided that we need to put regulations on cryptocurrency companies because they could potentially used for terrorist funding or money laundering. Now, down the line two years, because this was all thought of in 2018, two years later, this actually has become uh, regulations in Holland and everyone needs to abide by the regulations. You have no choice then to, to do what they tell you to do. So I started to look into, okay, what do I need to do exactly? Um, and one of the European wide things uh, is having to do a know your customer procedure that means that you need to like show some sort of id a passport or a driving license or whatever 
to show that it is you who's signing up for getbitter.com. Um, I was prepared to do this, even though I really don't like it. Uh, but then the Dutch government added all kinds of other regulations that was not directly to the point uh, that that actually killed my business. And, uh, and the main example of that is the requirement for a need of an independent compliance officer. And if you are like in a business by yourself, it's impossible to have an independent compliance officer unless you hire one. But Bitter was not yet at the point where it needed one. Um, so that combined led me to decide that I had to close down my business. Daddy. Now, yes. That's just so annoying, and it's about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that doesn't seem fair, does it? No, it doesn't. How does that make you feel? Make me feel sad that no one's going to learn about Bitcoin. Mm, and be able to use their service. Yeah. Because someone said so. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst part for me is that with this, actually with any regulations in the financial industry. Uh, by default, you're kind of classified as a criminal unless you prove otherwise. So unless you show, okay, it is me, Ruben Waterman, who's signing up for this service and this is my job and this is where I live. But by default, you're already treated as a criminal. That's not really fair because in like actual prosecution, you are not guilty un until proven otherwise. In the financial sector, it's the 100% opposite, and it's so unfair to me. Yeah, for mm. sure. Definitely lots we can delve into. So do you want to say goodnight and thank you to Ruben? Thank you, and it must be hard for you that your business is gone. It is. It's sad. Mm. Well, good luck, and have a great podcast. Thank you. Good night, Lauren. Uh, yeah, it, it's... um. It must suck, mate, and uh, it's it's really not cool. Um, and we'll get we'll, we'll dig into it further. Um, thank you for you know answering Lauren in, in very basic terms. I think that's very very cool. That um, I tried, but it was hard. <laughs> it's it is hard. You know how do you how do you how do you like? There's so much to unpack. So well, if we start from the beginning, what was the kind of inspiration to start get bitter? Um, so um, I, I was living in the US for a bit uh, and I was using a service called Acorns. And what Acorns is about is that you just put in 20 bucks a week or whatever you could afford and they'll invest it for you in like ETFs, stocks, bonds, whatever. Uh, but basically you just don't have to think about it. And every time you open the app again, it's like you see your wealth grow a little bit. And I was like, why don't we have something like this that is that easy to buy Bitcoin? Um, so uh, I worked this out as a concept a little bit when I was doing my studies, my online studies um, at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus. To, that's the digital currency masters. And I worked it out in a couple of courses where you had to do like projects and come up with business ideas and stuff like this. And then like... Uh, well, two professors were also involved and they were both like, dude, why don't you just go do this? Like, it's it's a sensible idea. It makes sense. Like, if if you're making money on commissions, then eventually 
like it's gonna be profitable as well so yeah uh, that was three years ago when i just kind of started hang on a second there's a university in cyprus that is teaching um digital currency uh degrees and things yeah so sounds pretty kind of awesome <laughs> it is and it's and why cyprus Be- it's it's a coincidence like the the ceo of that university he's also into bitcoin and he wanted to have a bitcoin degree at his university and so uh andreas antonopoulos actually helped setting it up so he's doing the first course as well and it's um like an actual physical place that you go and, and learn or is it everything online no everything is online and there's actually very few professors that are in cyprus because also the faculty is from all around the world Okay. I had a guy which was teaching uh, money and banking, kind of like the traditional financial system. He was from the US, then a, a more regulatory course, and the guy was from Australia. It's just everyone is all over the place. Very cool. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so what then, what got you into Bitcoin in the first place? If we back it up even one step further back mm. because you seem like a pretty young man to me uh, so, i just but... turned 28 so i mean it's okay. still young but <laughs> um uh, i heard of bitcoin very early but obviously i ignored it just like most other people um but that was in 2011 and then in 2013 i was uh, studying in holland and the university i was with at the time was uh, university or tilburg university and one of the major banks in Holland asked my university to send out a few students that would research Bitcoin for them. Because that was like 2013, it was like mainstream, kind of like mainstream media word, at least talking about Bitcoin. So I guess the banks heard of it as well, like, oh, well, apparently it's still alive. So we were six students and, uh, and we were going in once a week for like four or five months. Uh, but yeah, basically research and advise the bank on what they or how they could maybe add a value-added service in their portfolio that would like do, have to do something with Bitcoin. So that's like when I actually started to dig into it and started to understand it. I was like, wow, actually, it's it's really cool if it works. If it works, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's uh, we're six years later and it's seven years later and it still works, so. TikTok next block. It's yep. um, it's still going. Um, so you you form the company. Is that is that a difficult thing to do in the first place? Just forming a company in um, in Holland or in the EU? No, in Holland it's very easy. Uh, you pay a lawyer like eight hundred euros or so, and he you cannot do it yourself. You have to pay a lawyer, hmm. and they'll set it up for you, and then you're good to go. Um, the harder part is actually getting a bank account for a Bitcoin company. Like not a single bank, except for one eventually wanted to work with me. You'll just go like you'll go to their website, you apply like, hey, I'm a new company. And then they see in the in the, the what's it called? The Chamber of Commerce or whatever, like where you register companies, they see your SBI code, like what kind of business you are. And then in Holland or at least what I was classified was as a 
somebody who advises on capital or exchanges money. That was my code. And then by default, they just said, oh, no, oh, we don't we do not do bank accounts for those kind of companies. So you had to sift through all of that, get get a bank that was uh, willing to work with you. Um, and, and how did you set it up? Like um, if I was a customer coming to, to sign up with Get Bitter, um, and I was uh, exchanging fiat for uh, for the Bitcoin. How, how was that process happening? Uh, it was super easy. That was my goal. Like I really wanted it to be a product that even people that had never used Bitcoin uh, would be able to use. So it was like no trading screens, no complicated stuff. All you had to do was um, sign up for a profile. That meant putting in an email address, a phone number, and a Bitcoin address. Then you would see uh, banking details, so our bank account and a code that was specifically assigned to you. And then you'd go back to your like online banking or banking app. You would set up a standing order to Bitter. So I'm going to send 100 euros a week to Bitter with this code in the description. And then each week as we would get the money, we would convert it for you into Bitcoin and send it back to your own wallet. So Bitter had only like a maximum of 30 minutes that money was in our bank account. And within the 30 minutes, it would leave as Bitcoin to your own wallet. That was kind of the beauty of it. Wow. And so and you were using an exchange to do that, I'm assuming? Yeah. So on the back end, everything was automated with both the bank, uh, also with Kraken, and then also with like obviously a Bitcoin core wallet that had like a temporary balance of my own Bitcoin that I would send out to customers and then like at the end of the day, I would get the Bitcoin from Kraken into my own wallet for the next day. And so you were making um, like the business model was like commission based, I'm, I'm assuming, like a fee based. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of funny because I was just uh, kind of wondering like, hmm, how much would I pay for such a service? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like maybe 1.5%. So I just went with that. But now if I see other platforms that are offering similar services, everyone is actually charging at least 2%, uh, more likely 3%. Uh, but I just felt like 1.5 is fair, and uh, I kept it at that. So how many years into this journey did you get before like, we got to where we are now? So it was uh, I started three years ago, but the company was only up and running for two years. Two years? How many users did you manage to, uh, to attract in that two years? Almost 4,000. Wow, and it's like this wasn't this was European based, right? It wasn't just for people in uh, in Holland. No, no, everyone in like I was not targeting anyone outside of Holland um, mm-hmm. because that's a bit iffy with regulations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, if other people would find Bitter, then that's okay. Uh, so I had customers from every European country, including Andorra very happy that i had one customer from andorra (laughs) andorra seems like a good place for citadel actually thinking about it he was like he was so happy because andorra only recently joined the sepa region and that was a Mm -hmm. requirement for using bitter um Mm -hmm. that you like you had to be sending money from a sepa enabled bank account and so then he like he emailed me like oh this service worked from andorra and i was like well no in the beginning and then at some point, he just sent me money because then he was like, oh, Andorra's in SEPA. <laughs> <laughs> so when 
did this new kind of regulation, whatever you want to call it. Um, I could use a, a worse word, I'm sure. When, when did all this start coming? When did you when did you see what was about to to unfold? So initially, it was European a, a European directive, and that one, as I said also to Lauren, that one really wasn't that bad. It was just like, okay, you have to do AML KYC. It's okay because. In fact, we already had to do that. Otherwise, we would not get a bank account. Um, but then, so that was July 2018, if I remember correctly. It's quite long ago. But it takes ages before European law is adopted into national uh, regulations. Um, and then by November 2019, so about half a year ago, uh, it was clear what the Dutch implementation of this AML D5 was going to look like. And I was like, whew, that's a lot worse than what AML D5 was about. Mm. Um, so then it went, like, I always forget how these things are called in English, but like with the government, you have like kind of like the Senate and the one, the House of Representatives or something like this. Mm -hmm. And so it went through the first one and it was like, just like, Past, like if nothing happens, uh, very few questions asked. But then in the Senate, actually, some really good questions came up. Like, hey, is this proportional? Don't we like um, violate people's privacy and all this kind of stuff? And I was like, oh, okay, somebody's paying attention. That's good. Uh, but then late April, when it was actually discussed in the in the Senate, they had a little discussion going back and forth between the Minister of Finance and the Senate, and they just like voted all in favor. I was like, oh, okay, no, like that's it. Like the the minister didn't even answer some of the questions. Uh, so at, at, yeah, end of April, that was like uh, the moment where I was like, okay, um, now I have to be either very quick on doing something about this, or I need to make up my mind if I'm actually willing to work under these circumstances. And the circumstances were anybody that was already an existing customer or going to become a potential customer would have to go through um, KYC, right? Know your customer yeah. and give you as much information as they laid out, whatever that was. But you also had to legally hire a, uh, an, like a, a, an individual to, to handle all of that compliance. Yes, and you would also have to uh, write procedures on your internal control and uh, what you plan to do about auditing and like all these things that go with like large companies, not with one-man shows. Um, so that for me was just like uh, the, fi the final straw where I was like, ah, this is this is not worth it. I was doing bitter for like two years with a lot of fun. Like I really enjoyed what I was doing and doing it in this way. I was just like, well, that's, that's just, it's no more fun then. Like mm. in a way, I think what these AML KYC laws do is that they make private businesses, they make them kind of part of the state by us, like by making us sort of their police agents, because it's our responsibility to figure out if somebody is uh, maybe potentially laundering money through you. To me, that seems like a task of the police, not of a private business. So I did not want to become a police agent working for the state. 
it just seems so, you know, and I see the same thing here. I, I had a discussion about this with um, a friend of mine who's a venture capitalist, and he's French. But he chooses not to live in France. And um, he finds it so difficult to invest in, in French companies because of, like, because of this, the amount of administration and bureaucracy that surrounds these individuals that are trying to build businesses. And you got to ask why, like, this is who is this serving, right? This is my second business. And this is the second time that I've been just harassed by the government for having my own business. And I'm just like, I don't, I'm done with this. Mm. Like if I ever set up another company, it will be incorporated somewhere far away, BitMEX style, and it will not touch the fiat system at all. It will just be a Bitcoin only business. Under a Bitcoin friendly, well, not government, not yet, not country, not yet. Uh, there's, a- just, there's a bunch of countries where they really don't care what you do with your company. And if you're handling only, like if you're only dealing with Bitcoin, then well, that, that seems like the way to go for me. And it's funny, isn't it? Because like if you hear people... You know, for example, Richard Branson, you know, he's set up in the Virgin Islands and, you know, whatever else. And people think, oh, it's just a tax dodge. And you, 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 you're guilty by association of anybody that's hidden money offshore before or incorporated businesses offshore before for, um, you know, more lenient tax structure or something like that. But you're just a guy trying to build a business and just getting interfered with. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And it's so not proportional to what I was doing. Like, just think of the risks that could potentially, or like how bitter could potentially be abused. So people are sending money from a consumer bank account in Europe. Those people have all KYC with their banks and they get Bitcoin in return. Now, I understand that they are, that like the government wants to do AML KYC for the other way around. Like if money, if Bitcoin comes back into the fiat system, that they want to attach a name to it. But that was not what Bitter was doing. Like Bitter was getting money from the fiat system into Bitcoin. So for me, like I don't even see that that many risks. Like, of course, I did it for two years. I at, at some point I found some transactions where I was like, ah, I don't trust this, and I. I uh, closed those accounts. I was just like, I'd rather not touch it. Um, but overall, like the risks are very, very low. So why implement such draconian measures? Why have a compliance officer? Why have procedures on internal control? Like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like you said, you become like uh, the policeman for, for the government. And at the, you know, it also just slows down the growth of your business because it takes away your energy from what you're trying to do. Exactly. So what, like I was building a new website, which it does take a lot of time. And I had some plans to like create new features. And I was just like, well, if I'm going to have to like do all this compliance stuff now, there won't be any time to en- to be an entrepreneur really. Like I'm just, busy with paperwork like i opened i actually still uh, filled in some forms that are part of the registration because at some point i was like okay i'm just gonna do this because fuck it i have to um 
And I started with the forms and I was just like, it's pages and pages long of documentation that you have to fill in. Um, but the worst part is really to, to create those procedures yourself, like procedures. Like if you're just a company by yourself, you're not going to write down every step that you do on a daily basis. So what's next? What's the, what's the big, I mean, DCA dollar cost averaging right now is, is like, you know, the hottest thing on the street. It's, uh, you know, we, we've got existing companies out there and new ones coming on, you know, offering this service. Do you still think that this is something that you want to build out again, just in a different jurisdiction? Uh, that was my first option. And that's what I actually looked at in uh, back in January for like potentially moving the company to either Estonia or to Switzerland. Um, but at the end of the day, like you still have to do AML KYC because that's just a European wide thing. And I just disagree with it so much that I don't want to like participate in that financial surveillance system. And that's why I would rather, I mean, of course I would love to have this company running somewhere else, but I, I just don't want to. And so that was the analogy you used before. It's like treating someone as if they were guilty, um, like straight up. And I've never thought about it before when I'm doing AML KYC. I just think like, yeah, well, you know, it's just, we've all fallen for it. Um, because, you know, you, yeah, you, you've got to prove you're not a terrorist or a thief or a criminal um, washing money. Yeah. And like, see, the, <laughs> other, the other thing is like, K KYC is very visible to the consumer. Like you're aware of it because you have to do it when you sign up for an exchange. The not so much talked about AML part of these regulations is in my opinion, much worse because in effect, what it means is that as a Bitcoin company, you need to report uh, suspicious transactions that you find to the financial intelligence unit in your country. That's that's one thing. That's something I can understand. The other side of that is that the financial in, that financial intelligence unit can also request data of a certain customer. Now, if that happens, you are not allowed as a Bitcoin company. You are not allowed to inform the customer that they've requested your data, and you can't uh, go against their decision because all of this happens outside of the court system. So it's just something that you have to do and nobody will ever know. And of course they say it's only intended to be used for criminals, blah, 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 blah. Deserved controls, blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't go through the court system. So nobody will ever find out. And to me, and like, so if I'm registered in Holland, I report to the Dutch financial intelligence units, but every European country has one. And so if the French government wanted to know something about you, they would send a request to the Dutch Financial Intelligence Unit. They would send a request to all the Bitcoin companies in Holland, and they would get your data. And nobody talks about this. And to me, this is just is horrible. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. This is a very one-sided coin. You got to ask yourself who's pushing this this narrative about Bitcoin is all for washing drug money or terrorists. Right? Who's pushing that, really? Like, you know, who, who does that narrative serve? Uh, well, eventually, all of this comes from the FATF. 
Financial Action Task Force. Um, they put out recommendations, but essentially everyone just kind of adopts it as regulations. So even though they put on their own website, blah, 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 we're not, uh, we don't create re regulations. Well, you kind of do. So, and it's my guess that those people are, they, they would rather have the status quo survive than have a decentralized money, which is fair. So back to the, like, you know, what led us down this rabbit hole, what is next? Like, um, because if you, if you can't operate a business that you're not ethically aligned with, like the rules that, you know, you're bound to, is there, what have you been thinking about? What, what's, um, what's the next move? So I guess normal people would kind of, you know, stress out and be like, oh, maybe I need to sell my company. Maybe I need to find a job, blah, blah, blah. I yeah, get a nine to five job at ABN Amro. Right? <laughs> I decided I don't to see that in you. <laughs> I decided to not go that route and uh, right. first take some time off to build a sauna. That was a very fun okay. project, right? Um, but it is finished now. So uh, this is in your house or in your garden or like yeah, in the garden. Right. So you've built a sauna in a garden. Yep. And it's uh, it's a great way to like use your hands like physically and just take your mind off like frustration, because that was like the, the the phase where I was going through. I was just so angry with just basically everything and everyone, even though it was nobody's fault except for the government. But it just it kind of makes you angry. And instead of like going on Twitter all day and complain, I was like, I, I got to find something else to do, keep my time, like keep myself busy with. And uh, I decided that building a sauna was a nice project. So like, this is random. Do you, do you buy, <laughs> like, do you buy, do you go to like sauna.com and they, they ship it to you and you put it together? Or have you literally been felling trees and whittling the wood and like, you know, what's the... No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, it's finished wood. But it's already right. like cut in in the in the the kind of wood that you see in a sauna. So it's just a a, a lot of wood that they ship to your house, and then there was not even a, a manual. It was just like, here's your wood, go figure it out. It's like okay, <laughs> but it, it's super fun. And have you had the first sauna yet? I had. Yeah, I'm, after the podcast, I'm doing another one. Man, that's awesome. So. Honestly, that, that took me like a month or so. And uh, I'm now at the point where I'm kind of like slowly starting to think like, what should I do? Um, I, I didn't want to rush anything. So you got plenty of sitting in the sauna, meditating, breathing in the steam, trying to think of the next idea. Yep. And I, I, I kind of really do hope that I, I just like, in that sense, the idea of bitter, it's like, it's nothing complicated, but it just got to me like, well, if I can use acorns for my investments, why can I not use something like that as easy for, for Bitcoin? It's not hard, but it just came to me at some point randomly. And I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that with doing all this random stuff that I'll get another kind of like nice idea, like, hey, why, why don't we have this or that in Bitcoin world? 100%. They say you get your best ideas in the shower, right? Most of the time. So uh, lots, of, um, lots of saunas, lots of showers. So where do you think then this 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 DCA movement that's coming out? I think it's really really cool. I think it's a great way for people to start buying Bitcoin, um, 
not risk-free, nothing's risk-free, but very, very low risk, you know, 25 euros to 100 euros a week, whatever it is you can afford. Once you've got skin in the game, we all know you start reading the books, listening to the podcasts, you start upping your knowledge. This is the, you know, it's a, it's a really very, very good, slow, gradual journey into, um, into this space. With the amount of activity going on with this now and these new on-ramps coming on and the FOMO period we all think is coming, do you think we are building through these DCA services, do you think we're building a new floor for the price of Bitcoin? That may actually very well be. So um, as long as we have enough people that will just like buy whatever the price is, like at, at intervals, at some point, like wheels could still be selling as much. But if there's always somebody that's DCAing, or if that's in, it's not somebody, if that's enough people DCAing, then at some point they'll realize, oh, oh shit, we dumped, but we can't buy back at that low price anymore. That that's like the wheels. Old, I I'm assuming. So I I'm actually quite optimistic that at some point there will be just so many people DCAing because uh, normal savings are just not worth it. Um, that yeah, we will create a new price floor. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because, um, you know, we didn't have this back in 2017, uh, and we have it now. And I know um, Obi at CoinFloor <clears throat> and uh, Corey and Yan at Swan are seeing you know incredible interest in this. And when you do that, part of that journey that we talked about just then is like you become a hodler. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm really sad that with Bitter, I never got to witness like a bull run. I started with mm. Bitter, Bitter just after the 2017 one. And I would have loved to see what it would do if we now go like, I don't know, in the range from 20 to 50K. How many, like, because it would obviously it would get a lot more mainstream attention. Uh, maybe there would be a lot more people telling, well, so people like normal friends that say that are outside of the Bitcoin world, they would kind of only ask me about Bitcoin when it's a lot in the media, not so much nowadays. Um, so when that, when those moments come back, I am expecting that like DCA services are going to get a ton of new customers. Yeah. An absolute ton. And yeah, I, I feel for you, man, with those, um, those friends, um, they're probably rolling their eyes. Oh yeah, Ruben. Oh, should have known. Now he's had to close his Bitcoin business. Like you know, it's it's yeah. tough. Yeah, I guess those like obviously like for my friends, it was always very easy. Like, well, uh, of course I'm shilling my own product, but it's as of now in Europe, it is actually the easiest way to buy Bitcoin on a recurring basis. So you should just sign up on Bitter. And I mean, obviously my friends are happy to be a customer of my service, but. And um, like we were, I think we talked about this um, with Lauren just before we started recording. But you know, it's um, yeah, of course, we all want the price of Bitcoin to go up. But that's not like it's not the reason you're in the space. That's not the reason you're building businesses. That's not the reason you come on podcasts and talk about your experience. And the reason is education, and yeah. it is the fact that you care that you you want as many people to understand what this is. And to provide a service that can 
just be like minimal clicks for them to use. It makes me so angry at current times with like uh, with this whole COVID nineteen thing, where like governments just they just print money like madness. And nobody's like, everyone is just like, oh, Corona, this, Corona, that. But nobody thinks about the money. Like, if that is how easy some people in our society, which they happen to be elected, um, is if that's how easy they can print more money, what is your money worth then, really? Like, if we would all be working and earning Bitcoin, like, it would be impossible for like governments to operate like this. Because nobody would want to pay like now. Now your tax bill kind of comes like ten to twenty years later. But if governments were have to raise the money first to issue these emergency loans to failing businesses, blah 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 blah, and they would have to first collect taxes in order to do so, well, everyone would go crazy. But now, since the tax bill comes like twenty years later, it's all everyone's kind of thinking like, oh, it's not my problem. Well, I'm young, and it will be my problem if we don't change something soon. Totally correct. And I mean, what is the what is the political state at the moment in in Holland? What is going on? Are you getting um, like in the states? Are you getting universal basic income or anything like that? It, has that been? No, that's not uh, that's not on the table yet. Um, although, are you at negative obvi- interest rates, or what's what's yeah. the? So there's. Um, so there's negative interest rates. They're just there. I think if your company has more than 20%, uh, like a more than 20% decrease of revenues, uh, the government is going to pay 90% of the salaries of your employees. So that's kind of like, it's crazy. Um, if you've had to close down your business because of COVID-19, like uh, temporarily, like uh, restaurants and stuff. I think they give you like 4,000 euros once, but I don't really know what that does. Like if you have a bunch of employees that you need to continue paying, what's 4,000 euros got to do? And then what kind of frustrates me most, I guess, is like um, in Holland, there's a lot of uh, people that are self-employed, but they're not really self-employed. Like it's kind of fake. Like they still kind of work for just one company, but on paper, they're self-employed. They have their own company registration, blah, blah, blah. So those people, they're kind of not getting anything. Like they're the small guys. But then they do talk about, for example, bailing out KLM or at least like the Dutch part of Air France KLM. So I'm like, it's just unfair. Like why would KLM be entitled to money, but the small guys are not? I mean, in my opinion, nobody should be entitled to money, but... uh, where we apparently don't live in that kind of society. And to ask you a question about um, you, over the last four years, you'd have been watching uh, the whole Brexit uh, debacle unfold. What's the feel in Holland about what was going on there? I mean, it's all been conveniently swept under the carpet now. No one talks about that. Four years of talking about Brexit, and now it's all forgotten. Like, it's a done deal. Like, no problem, guys. COVID, 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 narrative everywhere. Um, what's what's the feel in Holland about, you know, what was going on? I'm not too sure, uh, really, because um, uh, a couple of years, a Bitcoin friend of mine, uh, 21 is enough, sent me an article that 
it's not it's not smart to read the news. Yeah. Um, or actually, it's like to spend any of your time on this. So I don't yeah. really, I, I don't really know what what the Dutch think about Brexit. Like I'm personally, I think it's a good idea because I think the European Union is the worst that Europe has ever known. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that that's like not the normal Dutch person's view. The reason I ask is because, you know, it was a European Union directive that has, you know, affected your business. So, oh, yeah, but, but not, not just that. Like, the European Union is like the most anti-democratic thing ever. It's just hmm. a massive institution that some bureaucrats come up with new regulations. And, uh, like, you can't really vote for any of the people in the European Commission. Like, yes, you vote for the European Parliament, but where the decisions are made is in the European Commission. If you, I don't know how to say this in English, but if somebody in the Dutch government has done something wrong, you as the voter have the right to like go against them and be like, well, we need to get rid of this person. Not a single person in in the European Union with the right of, like with voting rights or whatever, have the right to get rid of people in the European Commission. It's impossible. Like those people are installed by by uh, like by parties, uh, and there's nothing you can do against it. Yeah, it's um, I'm like you. I, I stay clear of the news um, as much as I can because, and I try and stay politically agnostic because uh, I think you have. A better shot at critical thinking if you're um, agnostic rather than you know leaning towards one party. Um, it's not to say I get drawn into the Bitcoin echo chamber though. How do you pull yourself out of that? Mm, you mean getting any information that's not from Bitcoin Twitter, or what's what's your question? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that is kind of hard. I don't know. Because I worry that, you know, as a community that, you know, we, we, we're so entrenched in it. Are we, and I want to be, I want to be pulled out of the, the echo chamber sometimes and, and, and challenged. And uh, John Vallis and Kevin Devani and I were talking about this and we, we had a, um, a podcast show with uh, Lawrence White, who's um university professor, big Goldberg. You know, come the end of the show, we were like, no, like no valid points like zero um but if you're trying that hard to pull yourself out of the echo chamber and still coming up against a brick wall you're like you know it's like bitcoin teen right you know it's inevitable this is inevitable um it's um there is no alternative yeah i i think i never thought about it that much but i think you're very right like if we're all gonna stay in our in our own echo chamber, like we're not making much progress. And that like, and I had the opposite side of this, that like Bitcoin doesn't need us in a way, like Bitcoin is itself and it will continue to exist. Maybe adoption will go slower. Maybe it will go faster. Um, maybe we don't have an influence over this. Very true. Because very, actually, very true. actually our governments are doing kind of like the best they can to help Bitcoin adoption. That, like if you, if you if you forget about the regulations that have killed my business they're kind of like with the money printer they're kind of doing everything to show why bitcoin needs to exist 
inadvertently, this is exactly what's going on. They 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 don't realize. They they really don't. <clears throat> they think they're tightening their grip on their already ridiculous, you know, amount of power. But the opposite is happening, and you know, especially with this COVID thing. Just out of these, you know, lockdowns, how many people are going to go, you know, remote work now? And that is, that's a step to self-sovereignty. How many families are going to go remote schooling and, you know, leave the education system because they've seen through it now? And that is another step to self-sovereignty. And then what does this all lead to? We all know where it leads. I really can't wait uh, for the day that, like, everyone is just homeschooling because like they're fed up with whatever the government puts in an educational plan. It's like, God, oh, that's what the children need to learn. Oh, really? I think there's a lot more to learn in the world. Yeah. Who decides that? And uh, yeah, let's teach them all exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. <laughs> it's just I mean, it, it's kind of like I've had quite a long, um, student time and now reflecting back on it sometimes i'm just like it's not it's not a waste of time like it's fun but it's not it's really not worth the knowledge like i could have obtained much more knowledge by just starting a few businesses already and the other thing is with with, and that's not so much for kids but like more in higher education um they'll only really teach you how to do something that has already been done, but maybe do it slightly better. And they don't they don't teach you at all entrepreneurship. It cannot be taught. Like entrepreneurship is something that you just have to do and you have to figure it out on your own. And um, this is something else that like frustrates me in, in current society is that n- almost nobody starts a business. If I look at all the people that were in my master's degree, Everyone except for one guy, so we're out of 14, we're two entrepreneurs. The other 12, they're just like full-time jobs, KPMG, uh, Capgemini, all these big IT companies. I'm just like, man, like it would be so much nicer if there's like a ton of small businesses, everyone's doing their own thing, as as opposed to like these too big to fail organizations. But hey, that's just my opinion. But no, it's, it's true. And I think about this all the time and I keep coming back to the, the question, just the basic question, why? Why are we not taught um, to be entrepreneurial? We're just not taught it. Why are we not taught about money? You know, p- some people will say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can learn economics, but they don't teach you. Um, I had a good phone call the other day uh, with a close friend of mine and we were talking about like how bitter had come to end this and that. And he's also, he's the entrepreneurial mindset, but he hasn't executed on it yet. Uh, so we were kind of reflecting on this and uh, coming back to your question, like why, um, what we came down to is like, my parents have always kind of been pushing me to be, to start my own company. Whereas his parents are much more on the opposite side where it's like, oh no, that's very risky. Maybe you should get a full-time job. Maybe if you get a full-time job, you can pay your pay back your student loans faster, this and that. Like it's the whole system is just kind of designed to flow into the full-time job system as opposed to taking risks and actually trying something. Again, why? 
Why do they want that? Why do they? And so if they're not teaching entrepreneurial, like entrepreneurial skills at school, and then they keep tightening and tightening and tightening the rules on entrepreneurs as they're trying to build businesses, they can change regulations at the flick of a pen and do regularly, like you said, to make your job feel much more like a nine to five existence rather than the fun company that you're trying to build. And, you know, you'd have gone and hired people, right? It's just the natural curve. But now they're making this administrative bureaucratic system and it legal for you to have to hire someone. So you have to close a business. Like what the hell? Like, you know, what's the agenda here? I, I, I'm, I'm speculating, but the agenda could be, and this has already happened in Holland in the banking system, that um, it's it's kind of difficult to monitor and to see what's going on if there's a lot of small businesses. It's much easier to have a few big ones and impose like regulations on them and, and monitor them. So in Holland, we used to have a lot of tiny banks like they would and they would operate under one uh brand but they would all be each own bank like they would have nothing to do with the bank that's like 50 kilometers away no it's it's their own bank and and this system is actually still quite common in in germany and france in holland we just have six or eight banks and that's it so it's much more it's much easier to police eight institutions as opposed to hundreds and so this is actually also happening now with these Bitcoin companies. Um, they estimated that there were 75 uh, Bitcoin or like crypto, the big a bit wider, uh, 75 crypto companies in Holland. And I would be surprised if there's like 20 left after these new regulations. Just because it's and it's a huge consolidation. So now it will be much easier. I, I don't know the government's next steps, but it will be much easier to police 20 companies as opposed to 75 small ones. Hmm. Also, when you are one of the remaining 20 ones, um, the regulations aren't that bad, you know, because they're a huge barrier to entry for new guys. So it's kind of a competitive advantage if you have the license, because it makes it much harder for other small companies to join. Like... I started my company two years ago, knowing that there's already big Dutch companies that are in the Bitcoin space. But I was like, well, I'm doing something different. I think I have an opportunity. Um, I, I'm I'm fairly certain that if uh, me two years ago would exist today and he would look at the space and like, oh, so if before I can even start a Bitcoin company, I need to invest like I almost invested 20k in bidder uh, software wise so that's 20k for the software plus another plus another 30k for the compliance and re- uh, regulation stuff well i'm probably going to think twice before i start that business so at some point like both the government and larger companies have an incentive to create more regulations because for big companies it's always easy to comply they'll just hire a few extra lawyers and and call it a day for small guys, it's impossible. So I think that's where the incentives lie. I'm not. I'm not sure. And you know, no doubt there is some. There's got to be some some monetary angle as well, some kind of tax. I see it happening here. Um, I don't know what it's like uh, in, in other countries. Um, the U.S. obviously have to deal with uh, 
lots of regulations as well. The other day, I was uh, having a small conversation with my parents, and I was like, well, I read this thing that uh, this hairdresser in Chicago was going to get his license revoked because he opened at some point during the COVID lockdown or whatever. And I was like, in Holland, we don't have licenses for hairdressers, do we? And my mom was like, yes, we do. And I was like, wait, there's a license to become a fucking hairdresser? Like, okay, I I understand that you kind of need to go to school to learn how to be a hairdresser. No offense there, but a license, really? Yeah, a license or a certificate for absolutely everything, right? It's, that, to me, is crazy. You know, if a, if a plumber comes to sort out your, your pipes, you're not going to ask to see his license or certificate, right? You, you, you just trust that he can put plastic tubing together. Yeah. Did you did you need a license to build a sauna? Could you go and do that for someone else now? Like you know you've done it once, you could do it again, right? It's yeah. um All right. Well, let's leave it on um the usual question that I ask at the end of each show. Uh and if you could implant your knowledge of Bitcoin and everything that you've learned about Bitcoin and what it could mean for you and your family and your friends for the future, who would that person be who would then go and share that message with their audience, an audience far bigger than you could ever imagine? Who would that person be and why? Ooh, I guess we can't say famous people. has to be you someone. You can say whoever you want. It's, like it's, too, it's really unfortunate that Steve Jobs is no longer alive because I'm thinking that he would have been the one person that gets it, kind of like Elon Musk and Jack from, Jack from uh, Twitter. And that would just like slowly integrate it into his products and mm -hmm. people would start to like it because he knows how to attract like a lot of people. I, I'm kind of struggling to find somebody like Steve that's still alive and that has that potential to, to bring out the message and be like, guys, wake up. That Apple commercial where there's the audience like full of Microsoft people and, and then the lady comes running in with the hammer. Oh, yeah, that was the original Apple ad, right, back in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, something like that, which, like, it just, it attracts to millions of people. Like, I I find it hard to, to come up with somebody. If you probably, think, probably Elon Musk. Right, I was going to say, do you think he's down the rabbit hole? Do you think he's... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I saw, actually, I saw this uh, tweet uh, thread today where somebody was actually arguing that he was Satoshi. Now, I'm not like, I think it's bullshit, but the the, the list that he mentioned was like quite interesting, like how um, he wanted some sort of money that was not controlled by the US government because he was going to eventually start his Mars colony. So he needed to have, like, if you send a colony of people to Mars, like they're remote from Earth, like, how are they going to deal with money? Like, are we going to use gold again? Well, then we need to bring it there. Kind of, kind of stupid. Like, why don't we use something digital? Oh, Bitcoin. So that was like his reasoning. Now, I don't buy it, but I thought it was interesting. And I think this was by uh, Chris Espley, right? I, I forgot his name. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Holy shit. I've worked it out. Elon yeah, Musk yeah, invented Bitcoin. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go retweet that. That's awesome. <clears throat> I'd love to have him on the show and, uh, and yep. talk this out. So, um, Ruben, how can people um, 
how can people find you? And I'm sure you would be like the perfect person, like for for a company. If any entrepreneurs out there are listening, are looking for guidance, are looking for information, are looking for inspiration, insights, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to to help those guys out. So yeah. where, where can you find them? Or if they want to hire you, like, as, you know. <laughs> as long as it's a Bitcoin-only project, I'm happy exactly. to talk to you. So yes. uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter or Telegram at Watermaniac. And it's with a K in the end. At Watermaniac. Water maniac. Water yep. water maniac. Yep. Exactly. I like it. Nice play on words. Well, is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? Uh well, not with bitter. Actually, well, you're not broadcasting it right away, of course, but bitter is open for like another one and a half hours. So I'm gonna stack the last <laughs> sets with bitter. But even without bitter, uh you guys should all be stacking sets. And um if you wanna have uh, a similar experience to bitter. So with very light KYC, go check out the uh, guys from Bitty. That's B-I-T-Y dot C-H. There are some guys in Swiss, Switzerland. They found a light, nice loophole where you can still buy Bitcoin with uh, with very light KYC, up to 5,000 euros. So go have a look. I've not heard of them. I'll reach out. I'll see if we can get them on the show talking about Good. this. Yep. I'm assuming they're based in uh, Zug. That's where uh, most people kind of, no, so in Switzerland, the kind of all the scams and all the blockchain stuff that happens in Zook, mm-hmm. the nice guys that that those are based in uh, Neuchâtel. It's a different canton, but they are. I've actually been there in January to see if I could move better, and mm-hmm. those like I, I had a meeting with somebody that works on behalf of the Neuchâtel government. And he was like, he planned a whole day for me to meet the ecosystem. So which lawyers are there to work with you? Which bank is going to help you? Uh, how are we going to set up the company, like incorporation and stuff? And I was like, wow, that's that's something else. Like I'm used to in Holland where you're always in fights with the government. And that was a completely different experience. Okay. How do we spell this? Uh, wow. It's N-E-U. <laughs> C-H-A-T-E-L. Neuchâtel. Neuchâtel. Neuchâtel yep. in Switzerland. All right. Yep. Next Very conference. Very nice, guys. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Ruben, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your story. It's a real bummer that you've had to close down your project, but um, I am 100% sure something's going to hit you as you're sitting in that sauna. <laughs> nice yeah i hope so too good all right man thanks thanks very much for inviting me thanks for coming on hey guys thank you so much for listening today and um i'd love to hear your thoughts about this actually because you know it's, it's it, this is just a kick in the nuts for like the bitcoin community and just entrepreneurship as a lifestyle as a pursuit as you know, trying to build a business and just coming up against these walls of bureaucracy and administration the whole way, and we got into this in the um, in the discussion. You know, who does this serve? Like, you know, why is why is entrepreneurship not taught? It's not it's not encouraged at all. You know, and especially what's going on right now with COVID, we're going the other way. We're trying to literally forced the doors closed of of people who have been building businesses for anywhere between 
five months to 25 years or beyond. Uh, you know, mom and pop stores have suffered for God knows how many years um, compared to like, you know, big corporations that just gobble them up or just push them out of business. Corner shops and, you know, the like like that. And then you got a young man over here who's just a one-man show building a company by himself, which after he taught himself how to code by attending an online university run out of Cyprus of all places, talking to some of the, um, you know, the, the top coders in the game like Andreas, understanding that there's, an, you know, a business to be built here. There's a need for sound money and people are going to want sound money because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're not silly. And building a whole business around that, 4,000 customers and then bam, one flick of a pen, close it all down. Yeah, he could carry on, he could battle, he could bow down to the regulations, but then he's just going against everything that he's ethically built the company on. And, you know, you just become a desk jockey then for the next 20, 30 years because it doesn't become fun anymore. Uh, you, you can't build out the things that you want to build out because you truly believe in them. So it's, um, yeah, I, I feel for him. I really do. Um, I hope you reach out and uh, get in contact show some support and um let's see if we can get him hooked up with something or um you know his his next big idea it would be um awesome that uh you know something might something good might come out of um out of the interview with uh with ruben today so uh thank you everybody for listening and uh before i sign off uh you know don't forget if you're looking to stack some sats if you're new to this you're just learning about it do it slowly do it gently. The next couple of years are going to be crazy. So just, you know, whatever it is a week you can afford or a day, whatever you can do. Uh, if you're in the UK, head over to uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and start changing some of those pennies and pounds into sats. If the Euro, if you are in the US, head over to um, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten and start changing your Benjamins for some Satoshis. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, reach out, say hi to Ruben, follow him, support him. Let's, uh, let's see what we can do for him. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye.